until you come, Lord. And we pray now as we have the opportunity to read the word of God, to study it together, to meditate upon it, that you'll open our hearts and teach us your ways, Lord. Help us to be a blessing and help us to go forth from here encouraged, lifted up, challenged and, and exhorted in your word. And we just commit ourselves now to you and thank you for all that you've done to, uh, to lift us up, Lord, out of that angry waves of this world. And we thank you. We pray now, Lord, you'll hide me behind the cross and pray that the words spoken today will be your words by the Holy Spirit and that you'll touch lives, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, it's exciting to think of this new building that God has given to us and how he has worked miracles in it and how he continues to work miracles in our lives. They did a survey back in 1982. How many people believe that God works miracles today? And they found out, actually it's 1988, they found out 82% of Americans believe that miracles happen today, that God works miracles today. And I think if you ask every Christian who is truly born again, do you believe in miracles? They say yes, because the greatest miracle that God ever did is saving you and saving me. That's the greatest miracle. We're born into this world as sinners. We have no hope. We have no life. And yet he comes into our life, fills us, and gives us joy gives us peace, gives us salvation. That is the greatest miracle. Now, there's many other miracles that God does for us on a daily basis, and every one of them is precious to us. God takes note of every one of them, but the greatest miracle is the salvation of a soul. One soul. The Bible says that the angels rejoice in heaven over the one sinner who repents. And so that's the joy and blessing of being here today and knowing that God is still on his throne, he's still in control, and he has given us life in Jesus Christ. And when you think about it, you look at our needs sometimes, and you look at the needs for the new building, and you look at all these things and money that's needed and all the resources that are needed. God is not limited. He's unlimited. His resources are unlimited. So many times we think, now how can we come up with this? How can we do that? We, how can we? We can't. I can't. You can't. God can. You know, President Obama, his slogan was when he was running for office is, yes, we can. Well, we can say, no, we can't. Yes, God can. Because as great as, as man is, in intellect and in education and all these things that we have today, scientific discoveries, all these things, as great as it is, it's nothing compared to God. He is the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, the ever-present God. He's there with us in our lives. That is true joy that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all he asks us to do is to put our faith and our trust completely in him, knowing that he can do it. And when we do that and couple that faith with obedience, there's going to be tremendous joy in our lives. I love that song that says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. How much anxiety and fear and things happen to us all the time, and if we just put our faith and trust in the Lord and obey him, it will all dissipate away from us. The title of our message today is Fill the Pots to the Brim. Fill the Pots 
to the brim. Turn with me, if you would, to John's Gospel, Gospel according to John chapter 2. And you probably know from that where we're going. It's the first miracle that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, the turning of the water into wine. This is such a fantastic portion. It has so much application to our lives today. May the Lord use it to really encourage us, to lift us up, and help us to be blessed in the presence of God. Let's read together the first 11 verses of John chapter 2. John 2, beginning at verse 1. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. I love that. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. May God bless the reading of his word. This is an exciting passage to me. I got so encouraged when I read this portion. I thought God is in the miracle business. He is in the business of changing lives, in bringing joy, and filling us up with himself. And today we're going to look at five points, and they begin with the letter I. I've heard of Mr. Four Eyes. I have four, two with the glasses, too. But we're going to add a fifth I, five I's. First of all, invitation. Secondly, insufficiency. Third, intercession. Fourth, intervention. And fifth, impact. And may God bless the reading of his word. Only Jesus can make the difference in a person's life. Oh, you can, you can go to all these help classes, self-help classes, and you can get all the training and education and all these things, but if you want to be changed in your soul so that you can say like we sung this morning, it is well with my soul, only Jesus can do that. He makes the difference. He makes the impact on a person's life. I was watching that football game while I was having my lunch yesterday, taking a break while I was studying for the message, and I saw Tim Tebow. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's a Christian. He's the quarterback of University of Florida. They've won 21 straight football games. They won the national championship this year, and guess what? They might win it again this year. They won it last year. They may win it again this year. He's a Christian. And they put that uh, black stuff, I don't know what you call it exactly, but uh, under their eyes, and some of the people write different things on it or whatever. And Bill told me the other day that he had on there John 3.16. And I said, wow, that's a blessing. He puts it right on there, and you can see it. 
when they showed up close. Well, yesterday he had Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. He had it right here. I'm saying, he is a wonderful Christian. And that's so great because no matter if you're an athlete, a politician, or whatever you are, just an ordinary person of life, you're not famous. But if you know Jesus Christ, you're famous in heaven. You're famous for the, for the Lord because he knows you. He loves you. He saves you. And that's what this is all about. So let's look at the invitation today. It says in our passage on the third day, and I like that expression on the third day because remember the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day. So it was a significant thing. And here it's a significant thing too because Jesus had just begun his public ministry and now on the third day he gets invited to a wedding. And it tells us here on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and it says, and the mother of Jesus was there. I like how the Holy Spirit uses every word in Scripture, and it all has a relevance and it has a meaning. And so Bible scholars tell us that this was the fourth event in the life of Jesus in his public ministry, his fourth event. I have something really neat in my Bible. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it has a harmony of the Gospels. And it shows all the events from the very beginning of Jesus' life birth, everything, all the way down. And when it comes to his public ministry, it lists all the things that he did, every miracle that he did, every act of healing, all his teaching, everything from the beginning to the end. And that was fantastic. The first thing Jesus did in his public ministry was he was baptized by John the Baptist. The second thing is he was led out into the wilderness, was tempted by the devil. The third thing is he called his disciples, the early disciples, Peter and James and John and Andrew and Nathaniel and Philip and all of these, they were all called by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the fourth thing that he did is he went to a wedding. Now, we all are going to be privileged to do that very same thing for Cameron and Katrina's wedding coming up in January. Hasn't been postponed, guys. It's still on, right? Cameron was over helping me. He put up some Christmas lights the other day, and he was all bundled up, and he was working, and I'm looking forward to that wedding, and you can see the joy in these young people. Turn back and see. Look at the smile on their face. I mean, they have not stopped smiling since the day they got together. And believe me, they're not going to stop smiling. Because not only are they happy and joyful to be getting married, which is coming up quick, but they're happy and joyful because they have Jesus in their life. He fills their life. He is bringing them together. He has brought them together. They're going to establish their home as a Christian home, and that's where the real joy and the real blessing comes in. So I, for one, am really looking forward to their wedding. And so Jesus looked forward to going to the wedding here in Cana of Galilee. His mother was there. It says the mother of Jesus was there. And it says in verse 2, now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, some people really like weddings. Some don't like them as much. But this wedding was like an ordinary Jewish wedding, with the exception of it was different. And what was different about this wedding from any other wedding is that Jesus was present at that wedding. All other weddings that happened before went through the traditional Jewish culture and everything like that. But this one was different. This one will be remembered for all eternity, and it's written here in John chapter 2 as different because Jesus was there. He makes the difference. He changes lives. He impacts life. 
And this was long before his fame went out into all the world, too, because not that many people had heard of him so far because he had just begun his earthly ministry. He had not done any great miracles, yet this is the first one, but we can see that he had the power from the very beginning because it's the power of God in Jesus Christ. He is God. He came down as God manifested in the flesh, and everything he did was by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's really exciting. And this took place in Cana of Galilee, and it's interesting that Bible scholars really don't know exactly where Cana of Galilee was located. They feel it was close above north of Nazareth, and they believe that it's in a Christian village of Kephar Kenna is where it was located. But it was a tiny little place, a small little place, just like we often think. My life, Lord, is so little. It seems so insignificant. But when Jesus is there, little is much when God is in it. And so we can all say that. You can say, Lord, I'm just one life. I'm just one person. What can I do for you? But he says, I can use you. I can fill you up. I can make you a blessing. And that's what God does. He takes the littleness that we come with, and he expands it into a great deal of blessing. And this occasion is a wedding, and it's a great wedding, what great time for people to come together. There were no news cameras there. There were no newspapers. There were no television sets in those days. And nobody would have done it anyway. Nobody would have come. But when we see by the end of this wedding, they better get those cameras out. They better get the newspapers out there. They better get every reporter on the scene because we're going to see an event here, a wedding here like, unlike any other, because Jesus is going to turn water into wine. He's going to do something so great that you better bring everybody to see it because it's going to be something that has never been done before and has never been done again. Because Jesus was there at that wedding, he came through, and he did a mighty miracle. And I think that it's kind of obvious as you read this passage that Mary had some kind of connection with the people getting married here. Maybe she was friends with them because when they ran out of wine, who do they go to? They go to Mary. They tell her about it first. They didn't go anywhere else. And they knew somehow, even though Jesus hadn't done any great miracles yet, but they knew that there was something different about him, that he could help them. And it's quite a wonderful thing. And we see that here they are at this wedding, and then it tells us that this was the case. And I like to think that Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Guess. Now, can you imagine inviting Jesus over and having him as a guest? No. If he comes into your heart and he comes into your life, he doesn't want to be a guest. He doesn't want to be a visitor. He wants to come into your heart and change your life. He wants to be on the throne of your heart and on the throne of my heart. He wants to be in control of our lives because he knows, as God, he knows what's best for us, and he's going to lead our lives. So we don't invite Jesus to be a guest. We invite him to be king, to be savior, to be Lord, to be the boss. And when we do that, he turns it all around for the good in our lives. What a joy and what an encouragement it is to us. So here they were. The first point this morning is the invitation Jesus had received to go to the wedding. And everything was going along fine. They were celebrating the Jewish wedding just like everything else. And all of a sudden, a catastrophe happened. They ran out of wine. And for a Jewish wedding to run out of wine, this is 
unusual. This just didn't happen. They just didn't do that. They calculated very carefully how much wine they were going to need for the wedding, and they made sure they'd have enough. They ran out of wine. And here it was, and they didn't know what we're going to do, what we're going to do. And they went to Mary, and they said, we're out of wine. What, can, you, can you do something here? Can, can we do something for this wedding? Because we're out of wine. Wine in the Bible is a symbol of joy. And if there's one thing missing in our culture today, one thing missing in our society, one thing missing in the world today, it's joy. People are sad. People are discouraged. People are frustrated. I mean, just look at this swine flu thing. They're frustrated. They can't get the swine flu shot. They're frustrated because they lose their jobs. They're frustrated and disappointed and discouraged because of this or because of that. There's no inner joy. But when you know the Lord Jesus Christ, come what may, come what all the circumstances may be, you have the joy. Because he turns the disappointments and sorrows of our life into joy because he's with us. And that really is so encouraging to me. Well, let's look at our second point this morning. The first point, invitation. Second point, insufficiency. And that insufficiency is, and they ran out of wine. You know, a lot of people don't think about God, don't think about Christ, don't think about church except a few times of the year. Christmas, coming up. Easter is another one. When they go to weddings, they come to a church. When they go to a funeral, they come to a church. Some people, the only time they ever go is when they, when they get uh, to these special occasions. But if we have Jesus in our life only four times a year or two times a year, whatever it might be, it's not enough. He wants to be involved in our lives every day. He cares about it. He cares about when Vince goes to Toyota to work. He cares about when... when uh, Dave goes to school uh, studying law. He cares about Mike in his long commute where he sits in his uh, room <laughs> there and works, which is great. And he cares about our jobs. He cares about our cars. He cares about our homes. He cares about our families. He cares about everything that is important to us. And that's a blessing to me because in my insufficiency, I look to him for sufficiency. And that's the blessing. I don't have sufficiency for these things. He is my sufficiency. And in the midst of pain and troubles and trials and, the, and catastrophes like this, Jesus is there. He's just waiting. He didn't rush to them and say, I'll turn the water into wine. No, he waited for them to come. And that's the same way today. The message of salvation goes out. It goes out to every person. He will not force his way into your life. He will not force his way into my life. He waits for us to give him the invitation to come into our hearts and change our lives. And that's what he did here. He waited, and they came to him. But it's a realization we have to have that we can't live without the Lord. We can't do it. And there's a lot of people today that are just going through life, making money, doing, being successful, and going through all these kinds of things. And it's only when a catastrophe happens, something really major happens in their life, that God gets their attention. And the Lord knows how we are. He knows our makeup. He knows our DNA. He knows our chemistry. And he knows that Dean is not going to take note of this until I kind of get his attention. And sometimes God has to nudge us. Sometimes he has to poke us. And sometimes, like Mike says, he's got to take the two by four out, hit us over the head. Because... We're stubborn. 
We're stubborn creatures. If it was up to us, we wouldn't come to him. He had to come all the way down to heaven to us. He had to go to the cross. He didn't wait for us to say, I want to be saved. He came down and saved us. He came down and died for us, and now he offers us the gift of salvation, and he gave us a free will, and we have to accept him as our Lord and Savior. And as like I said, Christ says in his word that wine is a symbol of joy. They didn't have the joy. They didn't have the lasting joy. I read a quote by C.S. Lewis that said, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says we're half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Think about that. Think about what people are trying to do to make themselves happy today. And they're like little children making mud pies in the slum, thinking that's all there is to life, that I can make money, have a good job, have a good family and all of that. That must be all there is. They're like little kids making these mud pies. Whereas over here, God says, if you'll just turn over to here to me, I've got incredible joy for you to have eternal life and salvation. You can have peace in your heart. You can have me in your life. You can go to heaven when you die. Incredible joy. And yet here we are over here doing these little things, these little mundane things of life. Praise be to God for those who have received Christ as Savior. You know what it means for that incredible joy that you have in your hearts. Someone said, if Christ is the way, why waste time looking for another way? And it's true. It is a waste of time, and people are off wasting their time. The time cock is clicking and ticking away. But praise be to God that Jesus was here at that wedding that day, and he's going to do a great, great miracle. And so Mary comes to Jesus. She's the, his mother, and she says to him simply four words. They have no wine. They have no wine. Now, Jesus says some very interesting words back to her. He says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. This loses a lot in the translation. He's not being disrespectful to his mother, not at all. In fact, he's willing to do what his mother asked, and he is going to do it. But the way he puts it here is he's beginning his public ministry. His hour has not yet come. It's not time to go to the cross yet. He hasn't even begun any miracles yet, but there's a need. And when the Lord Jesus sees a need, Anywhere he goes to meet that need. I like that cement truck that they used to have years ago, and the, the slogan on the truck was, find a need and fill it. I like that. Find a need and fill it. That's what we as Christians should do, because that's what the Lord has done for us. He found us in need, and he filled us. And we're going to see in this passage how he did that so marvelously. So we've seen the invitation, and we've seen the insufficiency. Now this morning we're going to see the intercession. Can you imagine? Mary asked him this, really, and she didn't actually ask him to do anything, but she made the need known to him. She knew that all she had to say to Jesus was the need. They have no wine. She knew he would take care of it. How did she know? Because notice what she says to the servants in this passage. She says to them, whatever he says to you, do it. Did she have any doubts in her mind that Jesus was going to do this? Did she have any doubts at all that he was going to do a miracle here? No, she didn't. She showed she didn't. 
I like what Dr. Ironside said about her. He said, she carried in her bosom a secret which other people would never have understood. She had been waiting for the time when this wonderful being, whom she had carried beneath her heart as a babe, should manifest himself as indeed the Son of God. And it is very likely that she saw here an opportunity for him to do that. When she heard they ran out of wine, I'm sure the first thing that Mary thought of was, Jesus can handle that. She, can, she raised him. She, she knows that he was the Son of God because the angel had said to her, this is Jesus, and he is the Son of God. You're going you're to give birth by the Holy Spirit. And she knew it, and she saw him day after day that he was the perfect Son of God as he grew up. And here it was that when the time comes, she now mentions it to him. And I like how she says to these servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. She believed that Jesus had the power to do it. She believed that he had the willingness to do it. So she went to these servants and says, whatever he says to you, do it. And I like how faith and obedience go together. If we have faith, we have to be obedient. And when we have obedience, we're going to have faith. They go together. And she had such an intimacy with the Lord just as the same kind of intimacy that we can have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And notice that, that uh, it's such a blessing here. And one writer said this, when we pray, remember the love of God who wants the best for us, the wisdom of God who knows what's best for us, and the power of God that can accomplish it. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to say that quote again because it's so beautiful. One writer said, when we pray, remember the love of God who wants the best for us, the wisdom of God who knows what's best for us, and the power of God that can accomplish it. I was listening a little bit to Charles Stanley. I didn't have a time to listen to all his message, but he was talking today about how if God gave every one of us everything we ask for in our lives, how miserable would we be? Because there are some things that we ask for in life that are not good for us. That's where God's wisdom comes in. That's where his love comes in. He says, if I give Karen what she's asking for, that's not going to be good for her because I've got something better planned for her. You know, if God had given us, say this in the old building, if the landlord had said, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this, and he made some little changes here or there and put it out to us, if we'd have taken that, if that had happened, then we would have missed the incredible blessing of the new building. Because God can see down the road. He can see around the corner. He knows what's going to happen. He knows why he didn't allow this building to work out. And he's going to have something better for us. And when God closes the door, he opens the window. And that is so fantastic to all of us. And sometimes we don't understand it. Sometimes we can't take it in. We can't figure it out. We don't understand how did this ever happen. How is this ever going to work out? But that's why I like what, what Mary said to the servants. Whatever he says to you, do it. Because when you think about it, when you see them, when Jesus asked them to fill the water pots up, how is this going to help our problem? We're missing, we don't have any wine here. What are we doing filling water pots, empty water pots, stone water pots? What are we going to fill them up for? They didn't understand it, but they remember what Mary said. Whatever he says to you, do it. In life, we don't have to understand God's will. We don't have to know how it all works and fits out. We trust him, we obey him, and then we see how he makes it fit together. Sometimes we won't know till we get to heaven why he allowed this, why he allowed that. God knows. 
And that's why we can really put our trust and confidence and rest in him because things don't happen by chance. They don't happen by accident. God is working. He's working in your life and my life. And whatever he allows is according to his will and for his purpose and for his glory. So that brings us to the point in verses 6 to 8 where we see now Jesus is going to intervene. They've asked him and he is going to intervene. There's a verse in Jeremiah that I read many years ago and it's touched me and every time I read it, it touches me even more. It says in Jeremiah 32, 27, the Lord is speaking to, Isaiah, uh, to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, we can look at that verse. We can say, I believe it. That's a great verse. I believe it. Then as soon as I get into that major trial where things look bleak, they look like Jim was saying at the breaking of bread, total darkness, we can't see a thing, it looks hopeless, we have to remember every promise of God from his word. This is a promise of God. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And we need to believe it here, and we need to believe it here. Because when we get out there tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and something happens, some tragedy, some catastrophe, some accident, whatever it might be, we can put our confidence in him knowing that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing too hard for the Lord. That's a promise. And in Luke 137, it says this. It says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, sometimes I look at a situation and I say, that's impossible. That can't work. That's not going to work. It just, it's impossible. It can't work. And the Lord is probably just smiling and said, that's great. Dean got to the point now where he realizes he can't do it. He doesn't have the strength to do it. He doesn't have the ability to do it. And he's going to come to me and I'm going to do it because there's nothing too hard for the Lord. And that's such an encouragement in these days that we live in. And notice what they did. They took six stone water pots that were used for the Jewish celebration of the purification. Each one of these water pots held between 20 and 30 gallons of water each. Think of that. Between 120 and 180 gallons. And Jesus came to them, and he tells the servants in verse 7, fill the water pots with water. Fill them up. Those water pots were just sitting there empty. Like our lives before Christ comes in, we're sitting there empty. No use. They weren't being of any use at that point. They had a design purpose, but they weren't being used. When God created you and me, he created us with a divine purpose to glorify him. But as sinners, we couldn't do that until Jesus Christ came, died for us, gave us eternal life. Now he can use us. And so he says, now take those six stone water pots and fill them up. Fill them up with water. And I'm sure they didn't have hoses in those days. They didn't have way, nice things, a way to fill them up. They had to, by hand, go and get the water. And they say in those days they had, they had the water, but they had to go get it. And they filled them up. And it says this. And I love what it says in the end of verse 6. They not only obeyed the Lord in that, but they went beyond what he asked. And it says, and they filled them up to the brim. Jesus told them, go out and fill up these water pots with water. They went and filled them to the brim. You know, when you fill something to the brim, you take the glass and you pour it in, the water in there, and it goes up to the very top to where it's almost going to spill over the edge. We've all had that before. Somebody's handed us a cup of coffee or a, or a glass of water and they filled it a little too full and you're trying to hold it so it doesn't spill. 
They filled them up to the brim. They didn't just take this thing casually. They believed that Jesus needed these things to be filled up, and they took it literally and filled them to the brim. And I really believe if we have faith in the Lord, He wants us to fill the water pots of our lives to the brim with our faith and our trust in Him. And when we do that, the Lord is pleased and the Lord is blessed. I mean, the Lord Jesus, throughout His earthly ministry, used to take all kinds of ordinary things and use them. Remember, he took the lunch that the little boy had. He took the five loaves and a few small fish and turned it into such a great miracle, he fed over 5,000 people. Well, here he's going to take the ordinary thing like water that's so common, and he's going to then change it into wine, and it's going to bring forth a great blessing. And that, to me, is the greatest thing of all. You know, we come with him, whatever our talents are, whatever our abilities are, whatever we have, and he turns it out as a blessing. He takes the little that we have. You might have heard this one before, but it said, Shamgar had an ox goad, David had a sling, Dorcas had a needle, Rahab had some string, Mary had some ointment, Moses had a rod. Have you some small talent you'll dedicate to God? You know, we come to him and we say, Lord, this is all I have. It's little. It's not much. And he says, bring it. Bring it. And then we bring that little to him. He multiplies it. He'll use it. And we'll say, wow, look what the Lord did with my little thing that I brought to him. And that's how great the Lord is. It may seem small and insignificant to us, but he can use it for his glory. So they filled up the water pots to the brim, and it says in verse 8, and he said to them, draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast. They must have been thinking, what are we going to do? How are we going to show up with the master of the feast? They didn't know, and they just brought it by faith, and they took it to the master of the feast, and they watched as how he drank it. And he said, wow, this wine is great. This wine is fantastic. This is the best wine I've ever had. Well, of course it had to be because Jesus turned the water into wine. It had to be the best wine ever. And it's so remarkable because he said, this is fantastic. And he goes to the bridegroom and he says to him, in verse 9 it says, And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. That bridegroom must have been so happy. Wow, I don't know how this happened. We just ran out of wine, and now all of a sudden, he's telling us that this is the best wine we ever had. What made it happen? Jesus made it happen. He made a miracle right here. He caused such a blessing. And our final point this morning is the impact that the Lord made. Look at how many people were impacted by that. The master of the feast was Im impacted, though he didn't know where that wine came from. The bridegroom was impacted. He got all the credit. He got all the kudos for it. Wow, you got great wine here. The servants were impacted. They were the ones who knew. They knew that they filled that with water. Probably one said to the other, did you fill that with water? Yeah, I filled it with water. We all filled it with water. Well, how is it wine? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus did it, and that impacted their lives. I bet those servants were talking about that for a long time afterwards. Wow, what a miracle. We came to him with these empty water pots. We filled them with water. He turned them completely. And notice how he impacted his disciples there. 
It says in verse 11, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. They saw a great miracle, but just wait, guys. You're going to see even greater than this. You're going to see greater miracles. And he did more miracles, and he did more signs, and more wonder. But the greatest thing that Jesus Christ did for mankind was going to that cross, dying for you and I, so that he could take our emptiness, our sinfulness, our weakness, pour in himself, pour in his blessing upon us, and turn it into incredible joy. Ordinary water, some people don't like to drink water because it doesn't, you know, the taste of it. You'd rather have something sweet, right, kids? Rather have sweet. But when Jesus turned that water into wine, he made it in such a way that it brought tremendous joy to everyone present. So as we conclude the message this morning, let's think about these things. Let's think about what God can do in a life. I'd like to leave you with a story told of an alcoholic who became a believer in Christ. And someone asked him and said, you don't believe in this nonsense about all these miracles in the Bible, do you? He said, I sure do. Because in our house, Jesus changed the whiskey into furniture. <laughs> Think of that. That's deep. Jesus turned this man from an alcoholic into a family man, into a new man, into a believer. And that's what the Lord can do. If he can turn water into wine and do a great miracle, he can turn a sinner into a saint. He can change your life and my life in a powerful, powerful way. Yes, let's remember our five eyes this morning. Invitation, Jesus was invited to the wedding. Insufficiency, they ran out of wine. They didn't know what to do. Intercession, Mary brought the need to Jesus. Intervention, Jesus turned the water into wine. And then the fifth eye, impact. He made an impact on all the lives of the people around him. Yes, if we trust him, if we really believe, he can do great and mighty miracles in our lives today. Before we close this morning, I'll read a little story about a young boy who had just gone to Sunday school that day, and he was on the plane going to visit his grandparents, and he was reading the Sunday school newspaper. And sitting next to him was this theologian. He was from the seminary. And so he was talking to the young man, and he said he thought he'd have a little fun with the young man. He said, young man, if you can tell me something God can do, I'll give you a shiny big apple. Well, the boy thought about it for a minute, and he said, Mister, if you can tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole barrel full of apples. Yes, there's nothing that God can't do. Actually, there is one in the Bible. There's actually one thing that it says it's impossible for God to do. That's the only thing I know of. Impossible for God to lie. Impossible for God to lie. That's the only thing that God can't do is he said, I will not lie. He says, I can't lie. But praise be to God, he can do everything. If you have a big situation today that's on your heart, God can do it. We have a big building we're trying to get into, God can do it. We may have health situations, we may have job situations, God can do it. Yes, he can. He can turn that water into wine. He can bring that joy out of the sorrow. And shall we just thank him for what he's done for us? Lord Jesus, we're so thankful this morning for this miracle that you did in Cana of Galilee, turning the water into wine. And Lord, you didn't just do it for a random reason. You did it because there was a need, and you did it to show 
your power to those around that you are God and that you can do anything, Lord. Nothing's too hard for you. So, Lord, when we go out and face hard times this week, when we face difficult, impossible circumstances, help us just to get down on our knees and pray, knowing that we have a God who is the living God, who is the loving God. And we pray that we would pour out our need to you and you will come through for us, Lord. And so we thank you for this morning. And we pray you'll richly bless us and take the word of God and use it in our hearts. We pray in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.